Hi, good morning, Three Circle. Great to be with you guys today at all of our campuses joining us. And today we're excited because we have also officially launched the Robertsdale campus today. So right now they're joining us. Welcome to the family. Robertsdale, we're so excited. Also, of course, Daphne, downtown Mobile, Thomasville, and uh, here in Fairhope. So it's great to be with you guys. We're going to kick off a new series today. It's called Kudzu. You may wonder, what in the world are we talking about kudzu for? Well, you know, kudzu is a very interesting thing. Here in the South, uh, where we all live, our region that we all love so much, hot and humid as it is, it's our home, right? And kudzu is ubiquitous. It's everywhere you look. Uh, if you jog slow enough, it'll get you too. You know, kudzu is fast. Kudzu came to the United States from Japan. It was meant to be a solution to an erosion problem, but it became a problem all on its own. In fact, here's a map of what kudzu has done in America. If you want to see where it is, that's where it is. And, and there at the bottom of Alabama, you may find a place we call home where all of our campuses are. It is green, all right? Kudzu's everywhere. And uh, it, it, it grows a foot a day. In perfect environmental conditions, it can grow a foot a day. Isn't that amazing? They call it the vine that ate the South. An amazing thing, this kudzu vine. And what we're going to do during this series, we're not going to talk about the physical thing called kudzu. We're just using an illustration to help you get the fact that there are things that the Bible warns us about, that God warns us about in our lives as believers, that if we don't get over it, it's going to get over us. There's some stuff that if we we don't deal with it. And this will not be an exhaustive list. Uh, there's so many things we could talk about, but we've chosen some that are big ones that we think we deal with that the Bible's real clear about that I hope will be helpful for you. Uh, I want you to write it down, spiritual kudzu, which is what we're talking about, spiritual kudzu. We'll take root and take over if left to grow unattended. There's things in our lives that we all deal with. There's this thing that happened in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of the human story called the fall. And sin brought with it these things we're going to talk about. It twisted us up. And if we don't allow the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to uproot those things in our lives and put the right kinds of things in its place, we will end up with kudzu growing all over our lives, choking out of the good things. In fact, let me show you just how bad kudzu can be. That's what it can do. That's a house under there. And what I think is we have spiritual kudzu. Many of us, our spiritual lives look like that. Many of you, your marriages look like this. Many of you, your relationships with your children, your home life, your mind and how you think, your, uh, your habits, your, the spiritual part of your life, which we're going to show you is so important, looks overgrown with kudzu. And the other thing I want to show you during this series is there's something that you all know about physical kudzu. Mowing it does no good. You don't mow or bush hog kudzu because it'll just come back the next day. It laughs at you while you mow it, right? <laughs> Once again, you go too slow, it'll cover you up while you're mowing it. You don't mow or weed eat kudzu, you got to get under the dirt. You, you, you have to get to the roots. And in the same sense, what we try to do in our lives, and I'm going to show you that Jesus tries to teach us otherwise, is we try to behavior management our lives. We try to change the way we do things, that that'll fix it. And we'll, we'll be better this time, but we strive and we just try harder and harder. And I want you to know that's not a fix. The gospel is the only thing that can get under the dirt of our lives to get to the spiritual root system and change and rewire us. That's what we're going to look at here in this series. Jesus taught us this, by the way. This is the foundation for what we're talking about. Mark 12, 30 through 31, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
that's spiritual. All your soul, that's spiritual. And all your mind, that's spiritual. Then all of your strength, that is your outer life. What he's saying is you have an inner life, he calls it heart, soul, and mind, and you have an outer life, your strength. He's wanting us to focus on, he says, you love the Lord your God in this sequence. Here's how you rewire the human condition. It starts with the inner life lining up with God and loving and worshiping and honoring God. And then it goes to your outer life. The thing we do as humans, though, is we want to start with the outer life and work our way in. Religion always starts on the outside and tries to work its way in. So religion says, be better, do better, try harder, and you'll find your way. But the gospel does not start on the outside. The gospel starts on the inside. It goes to the root system. That's what Jesus tells us. So write it down. Humans, you and I, we have an inner life and an outer life. It's very important you understand that. And most of us, if we were honest today, you focus mostly on your outer life. You mostly focus on your outer life, how you're doing things, what you buy, what you consume. You focus on your body. Some of y'all been eating dirt and protein shakes for three months, so you look good when you go to the beach. Well, folks, fall is here. Eat that cookie. <laughs> we focus on the outer life. Religion does that. Churches do that. We tell people change their behaviors and they try and it lasts to like mid-morning on Monday morning. And we wonder why aren't people's lives being changed? Because we're not preaching the gospel. What we're doing is we're giving people a to-do list and a to-don't list. And they end up to-doing the to-don't and they to-don't the to-do. <laughs> and if you understood what I just said, I tip my hat to your understanding of the English language. That's what happens. But Jesus says, no, no, the sequence is inner life moving towards the outer life. The Old Testament in Proverbs says, keep your heart. Now, whenever you see the word heart used in the Bible by itself, it is, it is talking about your entire inner spiritual life. Heart, soul, and mind will be underneath the canopy of heart. It says here, you need to guard your inner life. This isn't talking about your physical heart. This isn't talking about the heart pumping blood through your veins and arteries right now. No, it's talking about your spiritual heart, heart, soul, and mind. Keep it with all vigilance. Like, stay on top of your inner life. And it tells you why. I love this. Look at why you should. For from it, what's it? You may want to circle that on your hand after you like to take notes and just write, my spiritual life. It flows the springs of life. In other words, everything in your life is coming from your inner life. The way you act and talk and react and treat people, the things that bother you, the things that upset you, the things that shake you to your core, what makes you who you are, it's all coming from your inner life. So the next time you get real angry and say something and you go, I don't know where that came from. Now you do. It came from somewhere. It came from your inner life. Now, Jesus taught us really, really beautifully this issue, this concept. Jesus, when he was on the scene with his disciples, uh, you need to remember that the Pharisees were around and the Pharisees were very religious what does religion always do? It always works from the outside in, and that does not get the job done. The, the Pharisees were big on trying to mow and weed eat the kudzu, and it never works. It just comes back the next day. So the Pharisees noticed one day that Jesus' disciples, half of whom were just old fishermen, and, and they were country boys, and they had grown up and made their living in boats, and while they're out there fishing, they're not real clean while they're doing that, so like they knew what it was like to eat their lunch with hands with fish guts all over them. You know what I mean? I'm just being honest with you. Dirty, dirty. And so 
the Pharisees catch the disciples one day eating food without washing their hands. <gasps> the Pharisees were upset because that broke one of their rules. Not God's rules. It's not in the Mosaic law that you have to wash your hands, but it was in their little rule book called the Mishnah, called the Tradition of the Elders. They had another book. Sounds like churches sometimes, you know. Here's what the Bible says, but we're going to add to it to make sure you never break what the Bible says. So the Pharisees did the same thing religion always does. Behavior management knows no end. So they come in and they're like, your disciples aren't washing their hands. And Jesus says, no big deal. They're not breaking God's law. They're breaking your little rule book. You know, get on out of here. So like normal, Jesus makes the Pharisees mad. They move along. He turns around and his disciples and this little crowd of people are standing there. And they too are confused because they grew up in that religious system. So they're like, well, doesn't things on the outside make us unclean? And Jesus is going to teach them and us with his response. Look what he says in Matthew 15. He said, are you also not, so he's like, you too, not just the Pharisees, you guys too. Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into your mouth passes into your stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of your mouth came from, oh, there's that word. Your heart, your inner life. And that does defile a person. Why? Now watch this. Jesus says, for out of your heart, what is that? Inner life. Comes all of these actions. All of these things. Look, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. In other words, Jesus is saying, stop mowing the kudzu. It will not work. If you focus on your outer life, it's not going to change your inner life. But if you will focus on your inner life, it will change your whole life. That's what he's teaching. Stop mowing the kudzu. Dig up the roots. Rewire the system. Get under the dirt. That's what Jesus is saying. See, write it down. Jesus taught us that our inner life is driving our outer life. It's driving everything in your life, and yet it is that part of you you focus on the least. We focus on our looks. We, and I'm not saying these things are innately evil, but it's out of balance. We focus on, look, man, if you are more worried about whether the tomato you had yesterday is GMO or not, uh, whether you have read your Bible in three months, you might have an issue. Now, I'm not saying that you should eat genetically modified tomatoes. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I'd worry about that less and worry about and be concerned about and guard with more vigilance your heart and your soul and your mind. Now, I would worry less about how many home run hits your little boy got this year in Little League and worry more about what your little boy's having to be put in his mind when he watches his TV and listens to his headphones. Are y'all following me? Y'all tracking? Like, I think we got this stuff out of balance. And, and that's how you end up with 20 acres full of kudzu that you didn't expect to have, is that you focus on the wrong thing. You keep cutting it without going to the roots. And Jesus said, we got to go to the roots. We got to go to the roots. So that's what we're going to do during this series. And we're going to look at different types of spiritual kudzu that if we let them grow, they'll go, they'll go too far. And and we're going we're gonna to see that God helps us with these things. It's not an exhaustive list. You could add to the list. And we welcome that. Send it in. Send us emails. Let us know things you see in the Bible that we better watch out for. We picked a few that I think will be helpful. And the first one that I think is a big one that we're dealing with in our culture today, and I think our culture is making it even worse, is insecurity. 
insecurity. You can put in parentheses if you would like, identity crisis. We don't know who we are, and I'm talking to believers today. If you're a non-believer, I want you to be drawn to the God that you're going to hear about today that says to all of his people, here's who you are. He gives us an identity, but we have an identity crisis. And we all know what this feels like with insecurity. Every person in the room, right? You remember when you were in, maybe it happened in preschool, maybe it happened in kindergarten, maybe it happened in the first or second grade, but we all have that moment, and I call it the kickball moment. It happened for me. You remember you're standing there, and the teacher, the PE teacher, always has that ball and says, hey, you come here, and you come here. And it's two people. They pick these two kids randomly, and you're, you're wishing it was you. It turned out it wasn't me. And these two kids get literally life and death placed in their hands. Right? They don't realize it. But they're about to make life good for some and bad for others. And then you realize what's about to happen. They're going to pick from the crowd their teams. And do you remember what it felt like to stand there and watch the eyeballs of this kid scan? And you're going, please pick me. Please do not let me be the last kid standing here. Where does that come from? Why is that one of the most terrifying moments of your life? You, you, listen, you've not had a more terrifying moment in your life than that moment right there. Knees shaking. You don't want anyone to know you're, you're, it's insecurity. It happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, the first thing that happened when they fell is they became insecure. They realized they were naked, tried to cover up with fig leaves, and they ran and hid from their God. They were insecure immediately. Security was gone. We all know what it feels like, and we don't outgrow it. Let me help you today. If you're adults in this room, I know you're not worried about being picked for kickball, but you're still being driven by these things called insecurities. Insecurities will make you spend too much money to try to impress people who don't really care what you have anyway. Insecurity will make you buy a house a little bigger than you should have, buy a car you didn't need anyway. Insecurity will make you scream at a kid on a ball field because they miss a fly ball and they're just a kid. Insecurity will make you get mad that your kid didn't get invited to the party. Insecurity will drive, it'll make you think things about people and they don't even know what they've done to you. They just made you insecure. Insecurity is a weed. The United States finally years ago decided to designate kudzu as a weed. Like we don't want this anymore. Even though they're the ones that introduced it, our government, to us. It took over. That's what will happen in your life. I want to show you in the Bible a man. We're going we're gonna to first look at the problem and then look at the answer. I want to introduce you to a character in the Old Testament who was very insecure and you can literally watch the kudzu grow in his life. We're just going to read a few places in scripture and I want you to watch the kudzu grow. And he never takes control of it, so it takes control of him and it, does, it never stops progressing and it never stops getting worse. His name is Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel he was chosen as king by God to be the first king that Israel would have. Samuel, the prophet, the preacher, was the one who had the job of telling Saul, coronating Saul as king, and kind of leading him along as king. But he's chosen as king, and I want you to see from the very beginning he was insecure, and his insecurity got worse. And I want you to watch how it works and see it in your own life, and let's all be honest today about how we deal with this stuff. So Saul is a young man at this point. He's just shy of 30 years old. So he's an adult, but he's a young adult. And he gets chosen to be king. And when Samuel comes to him and says, God has chosen you to be the first king of Israel, here was his response, verse 21. Saul answered, am I 
not a Benjamite from the, you, may, you can use your pens and underline, am I not from the least of the tribes of Israel? And watch this, go even further. And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? In other words, Saul goes, you don't know who I am. I can't be the king. I'm from the worst tribe. And then if you come to my tribe's family reunion, we're the crazy ones out back, even for our tribe. Like within the worst tribe of Israel, we're the bunch that they talk about. I'm the one with crazy uncle. I'm the one. I'm, I, do you hear insecurity talking? The God of the universe and Samuel, the most famous man in all of Israel, standing in front of him, God has chosen you to be the king. And instead of hearing what God says to him, he's letting everything around him continue to identify him. Instead of hearing what God is saying about him, he's still listening to what everybody else has said his whole life. He's been picked on his whole life for being in that clan, in that tribe. Everywhere he's always gone. He goes to a nice restaurant. They say to him, where are you from? Benjamin. Huh? Which one of the Benjamites? And then when he says his clan, they go, <laughs> maybe they let him stay, maybe they don't. He's felt that his whole life. At school, he probably didn't get picked for the kickball game because of what clan he was from. He's been dealing with it his whole life. And it drives him. Write it down. Insecurity often will wear a mask of humility. Watch out because you'll go, I'm just humble. Really what it is is insecurity. Saul's saying, I can't be the king because I have listened to what everyone else has said about me my whole life. God can't use me. I can't be the king. Now watch how it grows. The next day we're going to pick it up. Saul now it's time for him to be coronated. The entire nation has come together. It's a huge party. They're chanting his name. And guess what? When it comes time for Samuel to install him as king, they can't find their new king. They can't find him. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell? They became insecure and they hid, right? Insecurity always hides. It'll make you deceptive. It'll hide. Look what it says. They inquired again of the Lord. Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Saul is hiding. He's the tallest, best looking man in Israel, you're about to find out. He's one of the few guys in the Bible that it says he's handsome. So like, he's the Chris Hemsworth of Israel, y'all. Tallest and best. And for those of you who don't know who that is, you're a little older. He's the Tom Selleck, y'all, of Israel, okay? <laughs> he's Magnum P.I., Yet he's hiding. The God of the universe has said, you're going to be the king. And he's not listening. He's still listening to the voices of his past and the voices of his environment. So he's hiding. Then they ran and they took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upwards. He wasn't just a little bit taller than everyone. He's a giant of a man compared to everyone else. He looked like a king. Verse 24. Samuel said to the people, now listen to this resounding endorsement. Samuel says, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That's his new identity. I want you to see the gospel implications here because Jesus is going to do this like on steroids for us. It's going to be so much more. Listen further. There is none like him among all the people. 
And then all the people agree and they shout, long live the king. And then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship. In other words, here's how you're supposed to treat this guy. He wrote him a book and he laid it upon the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah. And with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. Watch this though. Here's, this is bookended with his insecurity when he's hiding and now his insecurity on the back end. Watch this. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and they brought him no present. Hit the pause button. You know, it doesn't matter how great the party is, there's always that one or two or three, right? I've been a part of some great churches, but they're always that person that's not happy with what's going on, doesn't like it, it's not good enough for them. I get good emails every week. I always get a couple that I'm like, there they are. Always. There's always that person. And here in Israel, there's this group of people, even though all these hundreds of thousands of people love Saul and are for Saul and are with Saul. Some men have even said, we will never leave you. Men of valor. He's got his own guards now. But there's this one little group of people that the Bible even says they're worthless. Like everyone knew these guys were always mad about something. They were always posting stuff on Facebook. Everybody knew that. But watch who noticed. The Bible says, but he held his peace. Two ways to read that. One, he held his peace. Well done. Good self-control, Saul. But another way you need to read it is this. How did he even notice? 300,000 people are chanting your name and you notice the three that didn't? Let me tell you why. Watch this. Insecurity always keeps score. Always. Saul's keeping score. He knows. He held his peace. What it means is, instead of dealing with it, he just held it in. He's an insecure man, and he's been picked on his whole life, and he, it's all coming back. And there's part of him that's thinking, you know what? The reason they won't bring me a gift is because of what tribe I'm from. They don't think I can do this. They don't think I'm worthy of this. And instead of seeing what God has said about him and what all the people are saying, he sees what the, the listen, he's finding the needle in the haystack that's negative and he's going after it. And that's what insecurity will do. It'll eat you alive. It's a kudzu vine that keeps growing. Now, I want you to understand this, write it down. Environmental factors can accelerate. Don't miss this. Well, they did that one. Let's do that one. I'm the one messing it up. Early detection is a key to overgrown spiritual kudzu. That's on me and not the guys in the back that we call them. Early detection. Because if you don't catch it early, it'll keep growing. But now the next thing you're going to see is environmental factors are going to accelerate it. And I want you to look at these verses. First Samuel. So you think, okay, maybe he's getting it under control. I want you to see what happens here. First Samuel 18, 7 through 9. Something's going to happen that's going to make it grow faster. In our world, moisture and heat in the south makes kudzu grow faster. It's the perfect environment to grow a foot a day. There are things that make insecurity grow in our lives more than any other generation in human history. And it's social media. It's our ability to know everything at the same time. 25 years ago, when, when my parents would have a party for me, or another friend had a party, no one knew who got invited and who didn't. But now, because everyone's going to post a picture on all of their social media accounts of every person that was there at everything, every kid knows if they were left out of anything, and every parent knows if their kid got left out of everything. 
and it drives drama and it drives anger and it drives insecurity. And you got 45-year-olds with $50,000 cars and $400,000 houses that are mad because of a social media post. You follow me, church? Oh, so insecurity will make you, listen, you thought your car was fine until your buddy posted on Instagram his brand new truck with a winch that he could pull the Eiffel Tower down with. <laughs> He's never going to use it, but he got it. You thought your 10-year-old boat was fine until your buddy got that new one, rolled it out this summer. You're like, how did he get that? You thought your house was awesome until you saw on Instagram your friends remodeling their new house. You thought going to Gulf Shores was great until you realized your buddy went and posted every picture from every day of his two weeks in Italy. <laughs> Suddenly, Lulu's doesn't look as good as handmade pasta and the red wines of Italy. Social media's done this to us, so... We deal with what happened to what happened to Saul. Well, a shorter but equally handsome and even more charismatic guy, really good with a slingshot, showed up. This is what lit his insecurity on fire. He killed a giant, became a hero of Israel. And the women sang a song about him, and here's how it went. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And what does insecurity look like? And Saul was very angry. This saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000s. And to me, they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Boy, that's a big jump, isn't it? They celebrate him. He's, they're going to give him the whole kingdom. That's what insecurity does. And Saul eyed David from that day on. This young man that stepped up should be considered a hero, certainly by his king. David didn't want the kingdom or the crown. He loved Saul, wanted to honor Saul, loved the country. And instead, Saul's going to keep his eye on David. And, and, and here's what insecurity will do. When it's left to grow, it'll grow. And you will end up despising people who you have no reason to despise. Oh, yeah. It's ugly. Kudzu can be ugly. What it can do in your life. Uh, write it down. Environmental factors can accelerate the growth, can accelerate it. And then it has a devastating end. It has an end that, that can become so horrific. In 1 Samuel 19, you got to remember, David was an MMA fighter on Saturdays, and on Sundays he was Keith Urban, okay? He was a musician and a fighter and just, you know, that guy. He was that guy. He's good at everything. So Saul had him in to play guitar, the lyre, in his presence just because he was good. So David's playing his guitar one day, and the Bible says a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. David was playing the lyre. Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but David eluded Saul so that he struck the spear simply into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. In other words, now Saul is an attempted murderer. Insecurity can have a devastating impact. Devastating. It can really, really mess up your life. And you think, I would never do that. You may talk about someone, though, that hasn't done anything to you. You may find yourself inwardly celebrating when a kid strikes out so that it makes your kid look better. 
Oh, I am stirring that pot of gumbo right now. Because <laughs> we don't want to look at the ugliness in our hearts. But it's there. It lives there. It grows there. And if we are all honest about it, we can go, man, we are humans in need of the resurrection power of the gospel in our lives. And we have this stuff growing it grows and it'll be devastating. It'll choke out our marriages and our families. It'll make you be hard on your kids in a way that's not healthy. It'll make you constantly look, keep, it'll make you keep score with your spouse. It'll make you have to win every argument. It'll make you look at social media to see who's doing what. And I'm gonna make sure that my kid and I get invited, I didn't get invited, where are they going on vacation at? I mean, it's just gross, it's dirty, it's ugly, it's dark, isn't it? If we don't trust the Lord, and let him uproot these things in our lives, it'll have a devastating impact. The answer to insecurity is embracing your identity in Christ. There is an answer, and it's going to the gospel. The answer to insecurity is embracing your identity in Christ. Saul never listened. When God said to him, you're my king, he didn't listen. Instead, he listened to what everybody else said, and it made him insecure. Watch this. The only way you're going to uproot this root of insecurity is to listen to what God says to you. In the end, in the Garden of Eden, God had to cover up Adam and Eve. They could not do it themselves. You can't either. You can't handle this on your own. You can mow it all day long. It's growing back. We all deal with it in different ways. We have to listen to what God says to us. Ephesians 1, 1 through 6, Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus and talking to us as well. And listen to how he describes believers giving them a new identity. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, watch this, you may want to get your pen ready, to the saints, wow, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Listen to the language. Saul got, you're going to be my king. We get in Christ even more. And we need to hear it today. And we need to listen. Four things you just heard. In Christ, you're a saint. You may go, oh, I'm a sinner. God says, you're a saint in Christ. You're a saint. Oh, you don't know who I am. God knows who you are. And he says, in Christ, you're a saint. You're blessed. You're blessed with every spiritual gift. You are blessed. I love this for all of us who knows what it feels like to wait to get chosen on the kickball day. God says, I chose you. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're not a, you didn't show up at the dinner table with God and he, and, and he look around and go, how did they get here? No, he chose you. He activated this whole thing for you. He adopted you. You belong to him now. He wanted you in the family and you're accepted. He won't leave you the way you are, but he'll take you like you are. You don't have to pretty yourself up for him. He'll do all that for you. Just come to him 
And as Christians, we sit at a table we never belonged at, and yet he says, you do belong here now. And it doesn't matter what tribe you came from or what your insecurity stems from. God says, I've chosen you. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. I accept you. You are mine. You are in. That is our identity now, and that's the only way we can can combat the things in this world that accentuate this in us, that keep us insecure. Let me be vulnerable with you for a minute. I grew up in the country, man. I, I had a southern accent. Still do, but hopefully it is a bit more polished than it was then. I got to college and started standing on stages and talking. And One of my professors one day said, Chris, you're a good communicator, but you butcher the king's English. <laughs> I smiled, but he didn't know that that had been an insecurity of mine my whole life. So... Even to this day at 45 when I'm speaking in San Diego or New York City or something like that, if I get that chance, and I have a couple times, and something inside of me says, the second you open your mouth, they're going to think you're stupid. You're from Alabama. you got a southern accent. And they're all going to assume you're not smart. So you know what? In my heart, if I let it, I'll try to overcompensate. And I'll think, i got to prove to them I am. And it's in those times that I can hear my heavenly father say, you don't have to prove anything because I chose you. I've accepted you. I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing and you're mine. I plucked you out of a soybean field in South Mississippi, boy. You're mine. And I don't know what yours is. It's just my story. But I pray today that you'll rest in the gospel. Rest in the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are, your goodness and your grace. May we rest in our identity in you and be set free in Jesus' name. Amen.